How is everybody? Good. Hope everyone had a good Christmas. Um, I'll, I'll confess something to you, and this will lead into something else. So um, anyway, so we, we've been doing this fast. If you, they announced the fast, right? I wasn't in here during announcements. Did they talk about that, getting the fast guide? Okay, right. So we've been doing that. The church has been doing that ever since the church has existed. So almost 10 years now, we've been doing the church. Last year, or the, the fast, um, last year we had about 2,000 people go through the fast. So we bought 2,500, or we made 2,500 copies of the fast guide this year. Um, recommend you guys get one of those. If you've never done that fast with us, uh, you can cater it to, to kind of fit your needs. It is a sacrifice. It is hard. It is a lot of work, uh, but you'll be really, really blessed by it. And it's one of those things that we really, really need. I started doing that, I guess about 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, I started doing that fast and kind of rolled it over into the church. And, and we've just been doing it all together for a long time. But um, not only is it something that I have found I need spiritually, you know, to start off my year, give 10% of my year roughly already to God through fasting and prayer and um, I find out that I also need it physically uh, because I'm, I'm, I go into like debauchery mode in December. And here's where the confession goes. Yeah, yeah. Here's where the confession goes. So I left this service last week knowing that I would have three days off. And so I left here and my wife and kids were at my in-laws. So I knew I was going to be home alone. <laughs> so <laughs> I went by Publix and I literally bought every kind of eggnog that Publix has. <laughs> like every brand. And I went home, <laughs> and I went home, and I opened them all up, and I sat like a connoisseur of wine, but it was eggnog. <laughs> and I sat there, and I would sip one, and I'm like, that's pretty good. And I would drink like a little glass, and I, I went through all four. And uh, by the time my wife got home, I was about halfway through all four of these, and I was sitting on the couch, like holding my stomach, like, what have I done, you know? And, and um, anyways, that's just me confessing to you. Gluttony's a sin, so... Uh, probably something I needed to address. So there you go. Um, also last week, if you weren't here, we did Advent service, which was really, really neat. We had some really, really neat speakers and um, really, really personal and just uh, uh, focusing on Christ and talking about him and, and uh, really, really good. And it's odd. Last week, we talked about Christ, right, in the Advent. Um, this week in chapter 13 of Revelation, we'll be talking about the Antichrist. So complete opposite of everything we talked about last week, and we're going to talk about this week. Now, if you've not been to any of our Revelation series, uh, it's okay. You can jump in, and I can't catch you all the way up to speed, but let me give you just kind of like a brief synopsis of kind of what we've covered a little bit so far. Chapters 6 through 11, uh, not all of chapter 11, but the first 13 or 14 verses of it, focus on a seven-year span of time. We call it the Great Tribulation. So the first five chapters of Revelation, or, or when I say easy, they're not easy, but, but the average person can get in there, a little bit of work, not that big of a deal, right? When you get into chapter six, it gets a little bit more complicated. It takes a little bit more study, a little bit more meditation, a little bit more work. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago that chapters six through 11 represent the last seven years of life as we know it on earth, the great tribulation. And then there is a brief pause, this kind of intermission in chapter 12, where John sees this vision, this kind of, this, this epic drama, this play, if you will. And it represents the battle of good, battle of good and evil. And then there's a woman that probably represents the church. There's her son that represents Jesus Christ. And then there's the antagonist, the bad guy, the dragon that obviously represents Satan. And we talked about John watches this thing unfold. And it's a very complicated chapter. It blends the past and the present and the future, but it kind of sets up chapter 13. And chapters 13 through 18 that we're going to get into for the next couple of months are the same seven years that take place through chapters 6 through 11, but instead of it being told from up here, heavenly view, it's told from an earthly view. So chapter 13, we're kind of starting over, if you will, but it's from a different perspective. And what we're going to get into in chapter 13 is we're going to talk about two of the most famous things in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast, okay? We're talking about the unholy trinity, this kind of parody of God's holy trinity, all right? Now, if you weren't here two weeks ago, when I did chapter 12, I did not cover the last verse of chapter 12 because it makes more sense to start off chapter 13 with the very last verse of chapter 12. If you are here for chapter 12, though, we talked about this, this again, this antagonist, 
the devil, this dragon. And this dragon is about to wage war against God's people. And the very last verse of chapter 12 is very eerie the way it's written. It says that the dragon stood on the sand of the sea, looking out, and he's about to attack the people of God, okay? The bad guy is about to make his move, if you will. So when you walked in, you should have got a notes handout. All the notes should be in it that we're going to cover today. On the screens, everything that is in the notes will be on the screens as well. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, if you download that, it's, it's free and it has all the videos and sermons, and, but it also has the notes in the scripture. So if you click on service times and sermon notes, you get everything. It's very, very handy, very, very convenient, okay? So last thing before I jump into this, I've already talked too long, but last thing. We are going to get in uncomfortable waters this morning. There's going to be some things that, that are typically triggering people and, and things that typically offend people. And I want you guys to know, I don't do these things because I just love offending people. In fact, I hate it. When I feel like I've hurt people's feelings, I can't sleep at night. I don't like that kind of stuff. But what I'm going to do to you today or for you today is I'm going to present the word and we're going to present it completely unadulterated. We're going to take it for what it says. We're going to dive into it. We're going to hit on some very sensitive topics. And again, guys, if, 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 you, if you get angry about this, you're not getting angry with me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just relaying to you what the word brings us. These are things that you need to seek out yourself for the word. Don't just take my word for it. You can buy one of these books at any bookstore, and you can make sure that I'm not making it up, right? You can buy it in all kinds of translations and colors and women's study this and men's this and all these kinds of stuff, right? So you can double, double check me on all this. And I want you to do that. So you know that it's not just coming from me. I'm, I'm doing my best to just deliver to you what God is telling me to deliver to you, okay? So I just wanna preface all that. So when I get to it, you'll know, right? And uh, anyways, I'm talking too much. Let me pray, all right? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for this church, Lord. This is a really, really special group of people, God. Um, you have put us together, Lord. You, know, you knew who needed to be around to, and you knew where we needed to be, God, and, and we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for a nation, God, where we can do what we're doing right now. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom to be able to speak and to, to study your word and to, to teach your word, and God, we thank you for that, Lord. We wanna thank you, God, for another year. We wanna thank you, God, for uh, uh, 2019 that's coming up, God, and what you're gonna do. We pray that you bless this church we pray that you bless every church in Murfreesboro. If they teach the truth, God, we pray that you bless the nonprofits in our city. We pray, God, that you just bless our city, Lord. Help it be a city that honors you, Lord. God, open up our ears today. Open up our eyes, Lord. Let us take what you have to say, and Lord, let us apply it to our lives. God, we thank you. We love you, and we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 12, and I'm going to roll right into 13, okay? The dragon stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads. On its horns were 10 crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority, one of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? So chapter 12 talks about this epic drama, right? 13 carries the epic drama on. John sees the antagonist, this dragon, standing on the sand of the sea about to wage war against the people of God. Now, the way that Satan is going to wage war against the people of God is going to be via two men, literal men. One is called the beast from the sea, and one is called the beast from the earth. Two men, okay? The first one, John, is he sees the dragon standing on the shore of the sea, he sees this beast rise up out of the sea. Now, in John's time, there was a legitimate fear of the sea, of the ocean, 
right? They talked about leviathans and sea monsters and behemoths and all these things in these uncharted waters. So what John was doing is he was using this kind of mythological phrasing to kind of give us a glimpse of how monstrous this man is really going to be. More than likely, the sea, though, is not referencing John's fear of the sea. The sea that this beast comes out of is more than likely a sea of people, a sea of humanity. Like even from my vantage point, looking out over you know, a thousand people, it looks like a sea of people. You get this imagery of this monstrous figure rising up out of humanity who is going to rage and wage war against Christianity and Christian principles. Now, this monster, this beast, is a politician. The 10 horns are political institutions. The seven heads probably represent all the evil empires that have built up to the empire that the Antichrist will lead. The 10 crowns represent countries. Now, if you go back a chapter, it says there's only seven crowns. And then in chapter 13, it says there's 10. Well, what's up with that? Three of the nations will consolidate into one, making seven, not 10. But chapter 13 is kind of going back into the past. It's going into the beginning of the seven years, okay? So these three countries will combine, making seven. On its head were blasphemous names. What this shows us is every evil empire that has existed since humanity has existed has been anti-God. All throughout the Bible, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, when you get into the Roman Empire, they were very anti-Christ until the very end, right before they fell. They actually made Christianity the national religion, and then they fell apart. But the Romans were very anti-Christ, and then the last evil empire will be very anti-Christ. Now, what this shows is this, and this is, here's, we start going into offensive territory here. There is a very unique and hypocritical hatred specifically for Christianity. Now, what I mean by this is this. Let me give you just a couple of examples. The world looks at Christianity and says, Christianity is misogynistic. They suppress women and their rights. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, from the very beginning of this Bible all the way to the very end of this Bible, it is exceptionally pro-woman. Lots of female leaders, even in the Old Testament, a lot in the New Testament. The first two people to ever see the risen Christ were women. Jesus' best friend, arguably, besides Peter, was a woman. And so all throughout the Bible, we see the Bible is very pro-woman. So the world targets Christianity and says, you're anti-women, and here's where I get offensive. Then we have a religion like Islam that the Quran says a woman is worth half as much as a man. I don't know if you women like that. I don't like that for my daughters, that it takes two of my daughters to equal me. That's not the way it should work. Not only that, the Quran says that you can beat women. So when the world looks at Christianity and says you're misogynistic, that's just not true. When you look at other world religions that suppress and give license to beat women, that is very anti-woman. So there is a hypocritical finger that is pointed at Christianity and Christianity alone. When they say that Christianity is homophobic. Now, the Bible is very clear that we do not condone homosexual acts, but we are to respect and love all people. That came straight from Jesus' mouth. On the flip side of that, you have Islam that the day that they passed gay marriage in the United States, they were dropping gay men off 10-story buildings to send a sign to the United States. Though I may not agree with some acts, I am told by this book to love all people. So there is a hypocritical hatred specifically set aside for people of Jesus Christ. And it's not right, but it's what's going on right now. It's unique to all other forms of hatred. We also see the body of the Antichrist. The beast of the Antichrist, the, uh, I'm sorry, the body of the beast was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion. What this shows is the last evil empire that exists before Jesus comes back will embody traits of the previous ones, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. And up until verse three, this talk of the Antichrist is more of a movement than it is a person. What that means is this. Ever since humanity has been around, there has been a spirit of the Antichrist. 
There's been this spirit, and what's gonna happen is it's going to build and build and build until the spirit of the Antichrist culminates in one single individual. In fact, John says this in one of his other works. He says, every spirit who doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. John says, you've heard that it's coming. John says, it's already here. That spirit is already here. But sometime in the future, there will be an individual that will embody the spirit of the Antichrist. It also says, John says that one of the heads of this beast appeared to be fatally wounded. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about a lot today is that Satan is very unoriginal. Satan doesn't come up with a lot of good original ideas. What we're going to see in chapter 13 is that Satan has a parody of the Holy Trinity. There's going to be three people, Satan, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the earth. And they're going to be a mimic of the Holy Trinity of God. Not only a mimic of the Trinity, one part of the unholy Trinity is going to be killed, more than likely some assassination attempt, and is going to be resurrected. And so we see that this is different from the resurrection of Jesus. It's a mockery of the resurrection of Jesus. But people will see this person, this politician, be fatally wounded, live through it, and then people will worship this politician like he's a god. It even says the whole world was amazed. In restoring the Antichrist, Satan gives this man his power, his authority. And people who don't follow Jesus and people who, who, who don't know who Christ is, who, who have chosen not to know who he is, they will worship this politician like he's a savior. So much so that they will worship him exactly the way the Bible tells us to worship the true God. John actually quotes Psalm 89, six through eight. So here's the thing, guys, and this is where I'm gonna get a little bit more offensive. We have a tendency to worship politicians in the United States. You can say we don't, but we kind of do, right? We do. Now listen, it's one thing to respect earthly authority. You should respect earthly authority. I didn't vote for Barack Obama, but I prayed for Barack Obama. I'll let the cat out of the bag. I didn't vote for Donald Trump, but I pray for Donald Trump as well. I respect both men. I honor both men because the Bible tells me to do so. It is one thing to respect and honor authority. It is a completely different thing to look at these men and think that they are saviors. There is only one savior, there will always only be one savior, and it will never be a politician. Ever, 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 ever. A politician will not save you according to the Bible. Now again, there's Corey ranting on politics. I'm not trying to rant on politics. But if the Antichrist is a politician, and if your hope is in the government, one day a government is gonna rise up and a very charismatic politician with it and a lot of so-called Christians will fall for it because they have put political affiliation above Jesus. So we need to be extremely careful. All right, next part. All right, cool. Let me stop here for a second. Hold on. Listen, the only time, and this is not an exaggeration, the only time I ever get hateful emails or people catch me after service and chew my head off is never because of theology. It's always because of politics. I give you my word. I have, to my recollection in the last three, four years, I have not gotten any emails about bad theology. I haven't had anyone run up and say, how dare you say this? That's bad theology. I've never had that happen in the last three or four years that I can recall. I've had several people leave this church because I don't fall down at my knees at the drop of the hat of Donald Trump or Barack Obama, and I will never fall down to my knees for any politician because that's not where my allegiance lies. Again, I respect them, and I pray for them, and I pray God's wisdom on them. And if they walked in the room, I would stand up straight and love to shake their hand. I would love to do that. But I will not worship any man or any woman. And if that offends any of you in here, maybe just this isn't the best place for you to come and worship, and I'm sorry about that. Okay, all right, and I'll stop, right? <laughs> the beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority for every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship 
the beast. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Now, verse 9 and 10 are very important. Look at this. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone's going to be taken captive, into captivity they go. And if anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. That's us. So the first order of business for the Antichrist is to slander, boast, and blaspheme. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the word devil and Satan literally translate to slanderer and accuser, which means as Christians, we're not to slander and we're not to make false accusations. Eventually, the blasphemy of God and the blasphemy of Christian principles will lead to some kind of a war. And for three and a half years, 42 months, the Antichrist will proclaim himself God and he will somehow have Christians killed. This is a reminder, again, as Christians, we are to watch our words. We are to be very careful with how we talk about other people. The attack will move from a verbal attack to a physical attack. It says God will allow Satan to conquer his people for a short time. The Bible actually says it has to be a short time because if it was a long time, a lot of people would give up on their faith. But for a brief time, there will be persecution and there will even be martyrdom. And the beast's dominion will be a global one. We're not going to escape this. Everywhere on earth, Christians will be persecuted and they will be killed all over the world. And this is one of those extremely difficult parts of the Bible that unfortunately, this is why a lot of people in the United States don't like the book of Revelation. This is why a lot of people in the United States, again, this is offensive, believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because we have got it in our heads that we're Americans and we're not gonna suffer. We're not gonna go through anything bad. Now, Christians all over the entire planet are going through awful things right now, but we somehow think, because we're selfish, that we're going to escape suffering. Now, I don't know why we have it in our head that as North American Christians, we're going to escape suffering. Because look at what the Bible says. Don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. Listen, even if they come and saw our heads off for our faith, we just wake up in eternity with Jesus Christ. Jesus even said, don't fear those that can take your body, fear the one that can cast your soul into hell. We're not to be afraid of physical persecution. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul says that this is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you. Now, here's the part we don't like. For it has been granted for you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him. I believe in, I believe in Jesus, Corey. Well, that's great. It also says that we are to suffer for him. We will suffer. Jesus said, in this life, there will be suffering. He didn't say in this life there'll be suffering unless you live in the United States. In this life, if you're a Christian, you will suffer for your faith. Jesus actually talked about the Antichrist in the Gospels. In Matthew 24, 24, he said that the man of lawlessness would come and he would deceive many people, even people who appeared to be Christians. So chapter 13 of Revelation is already set in stone. It's already written. And those who have a superficial faith or those who don't believe in Jesus, they're gonna fall for the Antichrist's tricks. And then the true believers of the faith will suffer for what they believe in. So what does he say? This is so important. Guys, whenever the Bible says whoever has ears should listen, you should probably listen. And what John says after that, let me read it to you real quick. He says, if you have ears, listen. Then he says, if you're gonna be taken captive, into captivity you go. If you're gonna be killed by the sword, by the sword you're gonna be killed. What that means is every single person in this room has an appointed time to die. And John says, if you're gonna die, you're gonna die. If you're gonna be thrown in jail, you're gonna be thrown in jail, but God is still in control. That's why the Bible says this takes endurance. It is not easy to run this race. That's why it takes faithfulness, because it is not easy to run this race. That means that guys, while it is easy in the United States right now, we need to get into the habit of praying, listening, submitting to God, and trusting God. 
Listen, if you can't hold on to your faith because Donald Trump's the president or you can't hold on to your faith because someone make fun of you on Facebook, what in the heck are you going to do when people are kicking your door down threatening to kill your family? How are you going to hold on to your faith? I just can't do it anymore. Really? Because you had a bad week, you can't do it anymore? If we cannot hold on, if we cannot get into the habit of praying, listening, communicating with God, submitting to him, trusting him, if we can't do that in the freest, most prosperous nation that has ever existed, what in the heck are we gonna do when it gets tough? All right. Guys are like, man, it was just Christmas, it's about to be New Year's, what in the heck are we doing, right? (laughs) Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on the earth to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lives. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, here's where we get a little bizarre. It gets a little strange at this point. So the first beast was from the sea. The second beast, it says, is from the earth. Now, the symbolism of it being from the earth, no one really knows. Again, it could be kind of a throwback to Jewish mythology, John trying to paint this picture again of this monstrous person. Now, listen, the first leader was a political leader. The second leader will be a religious leader, a charismatic spiritualist. Not only will he be a charismatic spiritualist and say all the things that people want to hear, this person will do miraculous signs. He will do things and that will persuade people to follow the political leader. Now this religious leader, this beast from the earth, it says he has two horns like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. What that means is he comes and he looks really friendly. Probably be a very good looking guy speak really well, perfect teeth, says everything that the people want to hear. Guys, we have so many people like this now that teach a false gospel and it's so much garbage and they entice people into this because everything sounds really, really good. You know, the Bible speaks of that, right? There will come a time where people will only listen to what they want to hear. But it says that this individual, though he looks really calm and nice and soft, he's like a dragon. He's like the devil. He wants to tear people apart. This false teacher will deceive many by doing great signs. It's funny, in a lot of hyper-charismatic churches that focus more on miracles than they do the gospel and the Bible and Jesus himself, they always talk about bringing down fire. Well, what if a spiritual guy walks up and literally does it? Is it going to deceive a lot of people? Of course it will. That's why Jesus said it's a perverse generation that only looks for a sign. Now, there's miracles all throughout the Bible. I believe in miracles. I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in the gift of wisdom. I believe in the gift of prophecy. I believe in the gift of healing. And mir- I believe in all those things that are biblical. But when I hear of churches that have gold dust flying around and people miraculously losing 75 pounds and gems that just appear all over the place, which I, I, they do that. Why are they always asking for money? But anyways, all this stuff that happens, those things don't point to the gospel. They don't point to Jesus. They always point to churches and pastors. And all throughout this book, every single miraculous things that happened had a purpose behind it. And it always points to God. So we need to test things by the scripture. Yes, do we worship him in spirit? Yes, but we also worship him in truth. That's why we always need to go back to the book. Because if we do not go back to this book, a bunch of people are gonna flock to some spiritual charismatic leader that does miraculous things. And it's not gonna be of God. But we don't know any better because we've never studied the word of God. This may be even bigger than one person. This may be some kind of corrupt religion, some kind of distorted view of faith. Guys, I'm not trying to be a jerk and you guys, oh, I can't believe he's bringing people up. But guys like Rob Bell, Rob Bell who brings up that there's no hell, 
that you can worship all kinds of different ways and that everyone's gonna eventually be in heaven, right? It's called universalism. That's false doctrine, that's wrong. That's not okay. And he's leading a lot of people down a path that is destructive. There's also paths like docetism where people say, well, Jesus was a really great guy, but he wasn't the son of God. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God, it's hard to argue that Jesus was a bad guy. Stuck up for prostitutes, hung out with the poor and desolate, loved all kinds, loved his enemies, died for people. It's hard to not like Jesus. But whenever we say he was a good guy, but not God, that's also a false doctrine. It's called docetism. Unfortunately, in the church, we've seen a huge influx of moral relativism, which basically says, I like Jesus, I like the things he talked about, but I don't really like these things that Paul said. So I'm gonna take these things out that Paul said because I wanna live a certain lifestyle. That's called moral relativism, that it may not be right for you, but it's right for me, or it may not be right for me, but it's right for you. It's relative to the situation, and that is not the way truth works. Truth doesn't move because you feel a certain way about it. Truth is concrete, but it's starting to creep into the church. I'm really disappointed with how many Christians bring in other kinds of religions into the mix. Jesus said the most offensive thing that's probably ever been spoken. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to heaven except through me. So whenever we start bringing in other religions and blending that in with Christianity, that is not a good thing, guys. That's not a healthy thing. In fact, this is offensive, but I'm just quoting the Bible. It says it was either Peter or Paul that said, every other religion, every other God is a demon. It is a doctrine of demons. That's what the Bible says. But when we start to blend the things, this does not honor God. It distorts the truth and it is extremely dangerous. Is that popular to say? Heck no, it's not popular to say. That's why Jesus would start off with a massive crowd and end up with his 12 best friends by the time he was done, right? And he even looked at them and said, are you guys leaving too? Because the truth is not always culturally popular, but it is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth that liberates humanity, not enslaves it. So what we see again is that Satan is unoriginal. We have this unholy trinity. We have Satan, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the earth. And it's a parody of the trinity of God. So Satan continues to mimic God to distort the things of God, and it gets exceptionally weird. I mean, like sci-fi weird in verse 14 and 15, where it says that the spiritual leader makes some kind of image of the political leader, this image of the Antichrist. Now, typically, before the technology that we have now, people thought that he was gonna make some kind of statue. I remember when cloning was starting to become like a thing of conversation, well, maybe they'll clone the Antichrist and there'll be this image of the Antichrist. I was talking with a software developer yesterday, an old friend of mine, very, very brilliant man, and he was talking about they have the technology now, almost have the technology right now, to basically download someone's mind into a computer to where it will speak like them and think like them, and it's like artificial intelligence, but it's after a certain person. And so there's all these ways, we don't know how this is going to happen, but whatever's gonna happen is there's gonna be this image of the, of the beast, and people are gonna worship it, and if they don't worship it, they're gonna be killed. So this is how dictators always go. People follow them, they worship them, and they eventually kill in the name of them. Happened with Stalin, happened with Hitler, happened with the cult leaders like Jim Jones in California. It always happens that way, okay? Now maybe the most famous thing in the book of Revelation. And it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Again, this is one of those moments where we should pay attention, right? This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. The number is 666. Again, probably the most famous thing in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is going to make everyone receive a mark on their hand or on their forehead. And if you don't have this mark, you cannot participate in the marketplace. So people have speculated, is it a tattoo? Is it a computer chip? Is it currency? 
Maybe it's not a literal mark, but it's more of like a, a spiritual mark, kind of like how our mark is. We're not literally marked by God, but we're spiritually marked by God. Is it something like that? Well, more than likely, it is some kind of literal mark or, or piece of technology because it's going to affect how we work in the economy. More than likely, this, this political leader is gonna make some huge economic breakthrough. We don't know what it is. Maybe he'll balance all the budgets of the earth or maybe he'll somehow solve world hunger and everyone will look at him and say, oh, he fixed our financial problems. And so after he fixes the financial problems, he will have complete control over commerce, the marketplace. So get this. At this time, the Christians who have been dedicated to Jesus will know that this is unholy, that there's something wrong about this, and they will refuse to get this mark. So one of the, the commentaries that I studied chapter 13 about said maybe when they start killing Christians during the, 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 the great tribulation, maybe it's not nailing us to crosses or hanging us in public squares. Maybe the Antichrist will just starve us to death. Imagine how much pressure it would be to watch your children starve to death and the government says, well, all you gotta do is get this chip. All you gotta do is get this mark on your forehead and you can feed your kids. Imagine being put in that situation and that's what he's going to do. That's even more evil than nailing someone to a cross almost, making you watch your kids starve to death over time. But whatever this mark is, it's going to be a mark of allegiance. Again, Satan is extremely unoriginal. He throws up counterfeits all the time. So God, who is the, the perfect trinity, right? The number seven represents balance and perfection. Now there's a million different interpretations about what 666 means. If you wanna look that up on your own, I don't have enough time to, to show you all the different, and some of them are just nuts, guys, but all these different interpretations. But the one that I think is the simplest and that I like the most is that God is a perfect trinity, seven, 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 Father, Son, Spirit, perfect, perfect, perfect. Satan has this unholy trinity that is not as good as God's. It's imperfect, it's imbalanced, six, six, six. It's not as good as his, okay? What some people go through though is they get into the book of Revelation and they get into a thing called gematria. This is from Kabbalah. I think Madonna is like the only Kabbalist left in the world, but this comes from an ancient belief of Kabbalah. And this is the, 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 this ancient form of taking different letters from Revelation and assigning numbers to them and saying, oh, we can add these numbers up and this is what it comes up to. It comes to Nero Caesar. Or it comes to all these other different interpretations and they go through all this stuff to interpret scripture. But that is not what Revelation is about, right? Revelation is not some kind of conspiracy code that you're trying to crack and figure out, you know, that you gotta find Jesus' descendants in the Louvre in France and all these bad movies that are made from this kind of garbage, right? That's not what it's about. The Bible is, isn't some kind of map to find conspiracies. The book of Revelation in the Bible is a guideline on how to get closer to God, how to love other people, and to prepare for Jesus' return. That's what it is. That's why John says this takes wisdom. What takes wisdom? For 2,000 years, people have been trying to crack the code of the Antichrist, even as far back as when John just wrote this book. And so when John says, this takes wisdom, those of you who can understand, calculate it, he was saying it facetiously. He's saying, try to crack the code. Well, in his time, they said, well, it's Nero. Well, that time went on and humanity kept going. In the 1930s and 40s, they said, it's Adolf Hitler, right? Look, if we put these numbers together, it points to Adolf Hitler and he hates the Jews and Adolf Hitler is the Antichrist. And then time rolls on and that's not it. So what true wisdom is, is not trying to crack some kind of code, but trying to find in Revelation the majors and the things that we can apply to our lives to prepare for Christ's return, to get to know Jesus better, listen, so when counterfeit leaders and antichrists arise, we can spot it. We can recognize what is unholy. That's what the book of Revelation helps us with. So here's the thing. And again, this is not to be offensive to you. That's not my goal. But if we're to be honest with ourselves, guys, everyone in this room, we've all done this. In the United States in particular, now, People are people all over the world. We make idols all over the world. But in the United States, 
we have this uncanny ability to idolize everything. We do it with movie stars. We do it with musicians. You guys heard in California, they actually have uh, Beyonce churches. At least pick someone with better music, right? I mean, like, <laughs> but, but like, I mean, sorry. That just, that just offended someone in this room. We have a tendency to idolize musicians. We idolize movie stars. We idolize fame. We idolize fortune. We idolize possessions. Man, people that talk about their car or their house and they, I, I love my house. Really? I mean, I, I like where I live. I mean, I live in a good, but I don't, I don't love it. It's, it's brick and mortar. I can get other brick and mortar. I mean, but we idolize these things. We idolize even good things sometimes. You know, we talk about relationships, and sometimes in church, we're, we're not very fair to single people. Well, you got to get married. The Bible says you don't have to get married. The Bible says that, that it doesn't say that married people are any better than single people. The Bible says that some people are called to be single, and some people are called to be married. One's not better than the other, but sometimes we even make idols out of relationships. If you were a pastor in 2016, like I was, it was a horrible year for the church. Political parties have become an idol, guys. I hate to break it to you, there will be Democrats in heaven. I also hate to break it to you, there will be Republicans in heaven. <laughs> that you can actually be friends with someone that disagrees with you. We can do that if we act like adults. We can do this. But we have made idols out of political parties. Guys, I, I mean, I don't have anything personal against Hillary Clinton, but when she lost and seen people sob like their mother just died, that's sick. That's weird. <laughs> now, listen, hold on. But also to put a picture of Donald Trump and Jesus, like, you know, making it, that's also a little weird, guys. And we have somehow elevated men and women to be something that God has never intended them to be. We have made these things idols. Let me take it a step further. We've done the same thing with church. We have somehow been led to believe, especially in the South, that if I go to church, I'm saved. Now listen, you need to go to church. The Bible says you need to go to church. Hebrews chapter 10, I believe. Church is a very, very important thing. But just because you're here every weekend doesn't mean that you're a Christian, nor does it mean that you follow Christ and have a relationship with him. We have made an idol out of the Southern Baptist Church and the Catholic Church and the United Pentecostal Church and even non-denominational church. We've made idols out of religious figures. And guys, religion has never saved anyone. A relationship with Jesus Christ is what saves your soul, but we've made an idol out of religion. Now, here's the problem with idols, guys. They will always let you down. Even the greatest politicians that have ever lived even the greatest religious leaders that have ever lived, even the greatest churches that have ever been put together, they will inevitably let you down. Listen, your spouse will let you down. Your kids will let you down. People, because we're imperfect, will always let you down. Anything that is elevated above God will always fail you, always fail you. So what do we do? We need to recognize, if we're going to be truly wise and know how to prioritize what is important, if we're to know what to worship, people who are truly wise can recognize what is not real, what is counterfeit. I have a really good friend of mine. He moved to D.C. a couple of years ago, came to church here for several years, uh, lived here in town, worked in Nashville. He's in the Secret Service. Good buddy of mine, Kelvin. He might be watching this right now. Kelvin, for many years, worked with Barack Obama. He would go on vacation with Barack Obama to Hawaii every single year. Rough job, right? Go to Hawaii with Barack Obama, and, and uh, he only didn't do it one year out of the eight years Barack Obama was there because Kelvin was having his own child. He was having a daughter. A couple of years ago, he moved to D.C., and he works in the White House now, directly next to Donald Trump. Works right next to President Trump. Uh, funny story. <laughs> right after Donald Trump got elected, I said, hey, tell me, what's the most interesting thing about being around the president all the time? And he said, there's this one corridor in the White House and it comes to a T. And right when President Trump moved into the White House, he would come down this corridor every day and, and Kelvin's positioned right there. And every day Donald Trump would come to Kelvin and goes, I can't remember if I go right or left. And so every day Kelvin goes, it's, it's this way, Mr. President. And he says for like weeks, he'd see him coming and he'd go, it's, it's this way, Mr. President. 
He said that's kind of the most interesting thing about him so far that he's kind of got to see. Um, but one time I was going down to Nashville. I was going to have lunch with Kelvin. Went down to the Secret Service building, which is on Rosa Parks. I'll probably be killed for telling you where it is, but it's on Rosa Parks. I went down to the Secret Service building and, and went in, and there's all these security checks and everything you'd expect from a Secret Service building. I go up to Kelvin's office, and sitting on his desk is a stack of $100 bills about like this. They're counterfeit. That's part of what he would do is he would find counterfeit money and do all these investigations. But there was a stack of probably, man, $20,000 worth of, of, of counterfeit $100 bills. And I asked him about them. What, what's up with that? And he told me the story. And he said, pick them up, look at them, see if you can tell the difference. I don't have a lot of $100 bills float through my hands, but <laughs> I'm going through all these counterfeit 100s. And I'm like, Kelvin, I can't tell the difference. Listen to this. I said, how can you tell the difference? Kelvin said, we are trained to handle the real thing a lot. And when you handle the real thing enough, it's easy to spot a counterfeit. That's what he said. Now listen to this. The only way to grow wise in the ways of the, uh, uh, in the, ways of the Lord, the only way to spot what is anti-Christ the only way to spot what is false doctrine, the only way to spot what has become idol worship in our culture is we must spend sufficient time around what is real, what is authentic, what is genuine. Listen, the only way to be able to point out false doctrine is to know real doctrine, which means we must read this book. Guys, you can get this in any bookstore that you go to, this little book right here. It's called the Bible. You can buy it. And it, it, the only way to spot what is false teaching is we have to know what true teaching is. Amen. The only way to know what idolatry looks like is to know that there is only one God and everything else must be prioritized under him. We must spend time with him. If we're going to know who is the antichrist, we must be very close to the true Christ. And once we establish what is real, we have to trust that God is in control. Well, Corey, what if this evil leader gets into office? God's still on the throne. Don't worry about it. What if the economy falls apart? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's going to be okay. Hold on. God's still in control. What if we get persecuted? What if we go through times of intense suffering? Count it a joy to suffer with Christ. The Bible says he's still in control. He's still in control, but we have to be close to him. Now listen, I'm gonna take two minutes and tell you what you need to do. If we are going to know what is real and what is counterfeit, you have to have a prayer life. You have to pray. You have to be deliberate with your prayer time. Prayer needs to be as important to you as feeding yourself. You have to take time to pray a calculated time to pray, and then there just needs to be time throughout the day where you casually speak to the Lord. You have to do this. You also need to read this book. All joking aside, and all of my, my, my snarky remarks aside, you have to get a copy of this. You have to pick it up. You have to read it. If you want to know what Jesus is really like, read the Gospels. If you want to know the doctrines of Christianity, read the book of Romans, read First and Second Corinthians, read the epistles. If you want to be encouraged, flip to the back of this and see that we win. Whenever we, we struggle with trust, every time I teach the book of Revelation, every time I go to the end of this book, the outcome is always the same. God wins and his people win with him. But if you're going to know the real thing, you have to put the work into it. You have to pray, you have to read this. Because if we don't, listen, if we don't, if politics is your savior, one day you're going to be deceived. If religion is your savior, one day you're going to be deceived. It has to be a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with Christ. That's the only way to spot what is fake. It's the only way to see through the garbage. It's it. It's it. Now, here's what I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to ask kind of a, a, a special request this morning. My normal spiel, Dave is up here to my right, your left. Dave, good looking guy over there, Dave. If you have any questions, if you're new to the church or, or maybe you're, you're not a Christian yet and you're just like, what is all this? Come up here and talk to Dave. He can help you. There will also be men and women up here at the front to pray for you. Whatever you need, 
please let some, some people pray for you. Here's the special request. We have communion all the way around us. If you've been coming here, you know this. Wherever there's a lamp on a table, everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you ask God to forgive you of your sins. But here's how I want you to be specific today. All sin comes from idolatry. All of it. Think about it. Well, I'm addicted to drugs. It's because you've put yourself and these drugs above God. You've made that an idol. Well, I, you know, cheated on my spouse. Well, that's because you've put sex above God. It's become an idol. Well, I've become materialistic. You've put these things above God, right? You've gotten things out of order. It's become an idol to you. All sin derives from idol worship, idolatry. Here's what I ask of you today. Take a minute, be honest with God and say, God, if I have elevated anything, even good things, my marriage, my kids, if I have elevated anything above you, show it to me. And if I have, and if God shows it to you, you need to ask God to forgive you of that, and then you need to put those things in the proper perspective. Make 2019, that's why we start off with fasting every year, to put things in a proper perspective. Does God want you to have a good marriage? Of course. Does he want you to have healthy kids? Of course. Does he want you to have, you know, does he want you to have a, a decent place to live and a good job? All those things. But it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else starts to fall in place. That's what we have to do. So here's my request. Take a minute and just say, God, show me. I'm open. God, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Come on. Show me what have I put in front of you. Now, here's the thing. If you have ears, spiritual ears, you need to listen because he may tell you, you have put your job in front of me. You have put your wife in front of me. You have put your entertainment in front of me. You have put your politics in front of me. You have put going to church above having a relationship with me. He may tell you those things. And then it's up to you to ask for forgiveness and put those things in the proper order, okay? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, as we're about to go into 2019, Father, realign our priorities, realign our thinking. God, if we have made anything Anything, 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 an idol above you, Father, forgive us. Lord, help us put things in the proper perspective. Help us, God, to put things in the proper order. Help us, God, to, to constantly be, be getting closer to you and praying to you and reading the word, God. Lord, let us, be able, let us be able to spot what is counterfeit, what is fake, what is not real. Whether that be people or whether that be other things in our life, God, anything that is anti-Christ, Lord, let us, let us spot that and remove those things from our lives. Lord, I pray that you bless everyone in this room, God. Keep us safe, keep us close to you. God, and if and when the time comes in our lifetime that we are truly tested with our faith, Lord, let us be faithful and let us have endurance, God. Lord, we love you, we praise you. God, I pray that 2019 is a year that Lord, blesses our community, blesses us, and Lord, that it honors you. We thank you and we love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.